Nice. Hey, everybody stand up with me, would you? Here's what we're going to pray about this morning. We're going to tell the Lord we're all in, if you're all in. And if you are, and I hope you are, let's ask him right now just what it is exactly he wants you in on. Okay? Let's do that right now, and he'll make it clear. I mean, Lord, I don't know how we can't be. We're created in your image, so it's, it's in our DNA to serve, to fellowship, to love. And we are all in here just trying to figure out together as a family what it is you want each one of us to do, and then we're going to do it all the glory of Jesus. Thank you and praise you, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, thanks. You can be seated. How many Elvis Presley fans we got in here? Talking about the king, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're a fan, you probably already know this. You're going to turn me down a little. Um, August 9th through the 16th every year is Elvis week. And this year they celebrated the 42nd anniversary of his death. you believe that? Some of you are thinking, man, am I that old? Yeah, you are. But anyway, you talk about huge impact. On the 25th anniversary of his death, they released an album of his greatest hits. It was on the top of the charts for weeks. Weeks, 25 years after the guy was dead. Huge impact. Now, to put that in perspective, most of you can't tell me what I preached last week, let alone 31 and a half years ago, and that's as far back as I can go. So huge impact from Elvis Presley. But here's the sad thing. All that worldly success, he died way overweight, way overdependent on drugs, and way too young on a toilet. That's sad. But I'll tell you what's even sadder to me is they interviewed Priscilla, his wife, uh, several years after he died, and she said, I can sum Elvis' life up this way. He knew he was here for a purpose. He just was trying to figure out what it was. He knew he was probably here to preach or to serve or to care for people or help save people, but he never figured out what it was. And uh, beyond that, she said, he never felt like he was fulfilling it. So he just spent as much time as he could on stage so he didn't have to think about it. Man, that's, that's a sad spiritual lesson right there, isn't it? Somebody as powerful as Elvis Presley could die that empty because he didn't know what his purpose in life was? Aren't you glad we don't have to live through that? We know what our purpose is. That's why we've been talking weeks now about team building and getting part of the team at South Union Christian Church so we can make disciples who make disciples because we know what we're here for. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, listen to this, to do good works, which God had prepared for us in advance. Is that awesome stuff? Thank you, God, for having a purpose for me that I don't have to worry about what it is, and thank you for giving me an avenue to get through that at South Union Christian Church. The Scripture makes it very clear why we were created in Christ to begin with, to do good works. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Uh, we need to be reminded that we weren't left on the planet to consume. <laughs> we were left here to contribute. A lot of us, me included, would have just liked to have been saved and zapped out of here. I was just talking about that with somebody this morning. I think it was Dennis. I'd love to just, you know, come up out of the baptistry, have a heart attack or something straight to heaven. Sign me up for that, right? No, no, no. The Bible says you were saved to serve. You're gifted to serve. You're shaped to serve. That's why you're here. 
Now, Rick Warren points out that God uh, actually uses five primary tools in each one of our lives to, to give us the avenue to serve. He, he uses our spiritual gifts, our hearts and our passion, our abilities, our personalities, and our experiences. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because I don't have a lot of time and because we already know that. We did the book together years ago, The Purpose Driven Life. Remember that? And we have found over the years as we've studied this thing that we're a bunch of characters. And God has gifted each one of us different. He's wired each one of us different. And he uses all that to do his business. And we know that's true not just because we read the book and because we've preached sermons on it. We know it's true because we read it right out of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to make bundles of cash. Is that what it says? No. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to gain lots of applause from men. It's not what it says either. Each of you should use whatever gift you've been given to, what do you know, serve one another. In other words, you know that one thing you do so well? That one gift, one talent that everybody says you do so good at, some of you have two or three. Well, guess what? God didn't give that to you for you. God gave that to you so you could connect with and serve other people. That's what this is all about. In fact, do you remember what the first line in that book is? Remember what it said? Purpose Driven Life? It's not about you. Life is not about you. And I don't know about you or not, but that, that's good news for me. That takes the pressure off of me to know that it's not about me. That real life for me is just to love God and to love people. And I do that by serving God and serving people. It's good news because now I know why I'm here. I'm here to serve. That's my purpose. Can I get you guys a donut or a cup of coffee or something? Because that's what I'm here to do, serve. And it's, it's interesting. In the New Testament, the word for serve is the same word we get for minister. Isn't that interesting? I mean, normally you think of a minister as somebody like a priest or a pastor who stands up on the stage, preaches, and tells wildly funny jokes. You know what I mean? Uh, by the way, <laughs> do you know why the raisin went out with the prune? Couldn't find a date. <laughs> That's right. Hey, you know how to make a, a sausage roll? You're a cook. You know how to make a sausage roll? Push it down the hill. You know why the guy got fired from the orange juice factory? He couldn't concentrate. See, what I'm saying? See that's, that's my point. Not all of you are gifted to stand up here and tell wildly funny jokes. But I'll tell you this. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Everybody in here is a minister. And the neat thing about it in the Bible, the word for servant and minister is the same thing. It's the same thing in the Bible. It's the same thing in my house, too. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the deal. I'm, the, I'm not the only one in the church that's been called into ministry. You all have. And you might not think you've been called to ministry. Yes, you have. If you've been saved, you've been called to salvation. If you've been called to salvation, you've been called to serve. So connect, get on a team, and get busy. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, here's the neat thing. God didn't just tell us to make sure we serve and then leave us down here to figure it all out. He sent a son down here to show us how to do it. I mean, we've known for years that we want to be as much like Jesus as we can. Well, you look at Jesus, what did he do most while he was on the planet? He served. Pretty much that's all he did. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And most of us in here know this already. Nothing in life feels any better than serving God. And nothing feels even better than that, like serving people by serving God. It's good stuff. So in a few minutes I got left this morning, I want to look at Jesus, the servant, and see if we can learn how to do the same thing, because that's what we want to do. And here's point number one. Jesus was always available 
You want to be a servant like Jesus, you got to be available. Now, you talk about busy. I mean, you think you're busy keeping up with the kids and the job and all the stuff you got going on. Jesus was busy, but I'll tell you something. He was always available. You read through the Bible, it's just amazing. Uh, in fact, one of the scriptures that's indicative of that is Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. Uh, Jesus is on his way from one service to another service and, and probably been up all night serving people. And two blind men uh, stepped out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Remember that? And the Bible says in verse 32 that Jesus stopped and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And I hope you saw the key word there, because the key word there, the emphasis word, is also the teaching word. It said Jesus stopped. He stopped, connected with the guy, and then he served him. And I mean, that's it. If you and I want to learn to serve God by serving each other, we've got to be willing to be interrupted once in a while. And i just got to be honest with you, most of us don't want that to happen. Most of us in here, honestly, will serve if you want us to. Just don't interrupt me while I'm trying to watch the Colts or an IU game, if I'm trying to sleep. I've got a tournament this weekend. Don't try to bother me then. I got the family coming over. I got stuff going on. Kane, I don't mind being part of a team. I might even lead a team, but just don't interrupt me to do it because I'm busy, right? Isn't that what we say? I'll tell you, that's not the way it happened for Jesus. You think about it. Most of his miracles and most of his ministry, flat out interruptions. I mean, you got these blind men. You, you got the lame man. You got the sick child, the paralyzed folk. You you got the, the dead girl. You got the, the guy with the shriveled hand, the woman caught in the adultery. All these people that came to him night after night, day after day, were looking for healing. The kids that came at every hour during the day and night. Jesus was busy constantly and, and always stopped, was always available. In fact, you remember where he first worked his first miracle? Remember where it was? It's a wedding reception. I mean, you think that's at least one place you could sit down and take a break. You've had the rehearsal, you've done the ceremony, you've had all the hard work. You ought to be able to sit down and take a break at a wedding rehearsal uh-uh, or wedding reception. But Jesus was always available. And I think it would help all of us in here if we'd open up the Bible in our personal study time and just study the stops of Jesus. Proverbs 3.28, today's English version reads, Never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow. If you can help him out today, do it. In other words, Servant-hearted people don't procrastinate. When they see there's a need, they go get it. Has there ever in your lifetime been a bigger need for people to find Jesus Christ in this community than right now? Then let's do something about it. John Wesley's motto went like this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Now, that's the definition of service in Jesus Christ, and it's wonderful stuff. And listen, it sounds good, warm, and fuzzy to talk about it in a sermon and to read a motto like that, but you and I are not going to pull this off unless we make ourselves available so people will trust us, so they'll see our character and our competence and our credibility and our connection, and we can make disciples who make disciples. Now, we've talked about this before, and I'm not going to quit talking about it because it's not changed. There are needing, hurting people everywhere you go. There are needing, hurting people in this church right now. And you're probably sitting next to one. And if you're not going to do what we're supposed to do, we're going to get on the team, we're going to get all in, and we're going to serve like never before because that's what Jesus would have us do. we just got to be available. And we aren't. We're not. And the question is, Why? Three major barriers that keep us from being available. I'm going to go through these quick because then you're going to be up, okay? Here's the first one. 
Self-centeredness. I mean, I hate to say that straight up, but we've been talking about Philippians chapter 2 now for three weeks. Let me read this to you. Each one of you should not look out for your own interest, but also the interests of others. I love how the message version reads. Forget yourselves long enough to lend the helping hand to someone else. Listen, anytime there's a need right in front of you, anytime there's somebody hurting, somebody needs prayer, somebody needs led to Jesus Christ, you and I are called to do that. And I'm telling you, the thing that shuts that down quicker than anything else in all of our lives is simply this. You're too busy. You're too busy. I mean, can you be honest with me? Some of you are too busy to even make it to church on Sundays. you got too much going on. Anybody in here tired of hearing me talk about that? Anybody in here remember how to get me to shut up about talking about this? Yeah, slow down. Some of us are on such a fast track in our life right now that we're, what we're saying to Jesus is this, we'd like to serve, we'd love to be just like you, we're just too busy. Do you really want to say that to the Lord of service? Because if you do, what you're actually saying to him is, I want my agenda and my ambitions and my family and my stuff taken care of first. Mine, 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 mine. And we just saw last week, that's a credibility killer. Turns out it's a connection killer too. Now, I know this sounds kind of goofy, but when I go on vacation, I always feel like a slime bucket. I hate people waiting on me. I, I think that's why we tip so good at restaurants too. I just hate people waiting on me. And on vacation, it's, you know, we're lazing around, we've got suits on, and these people are serving us. And I'm always saying, well, it's good to be on vacation. When do you get to go on vacation? I'm trying to make light of it. Well, a couple of years ago, we stayed in the same hotel for about three or four nights, which is kind of new for us. And this one gal, I just was wearing her out. And one day, it was all day long, and I kept saying, man, I hate to bother you, but uh, can I, uh, I forgot my toothbrush, you know, or I hate to bother you, could we get some more towels because the kids want to swim again, you know. I hate to bother you, you got a map of the city. And finally, I went in on one time and said, I, I hate to bother you, but do you have a, another pillow? And she finally said, sir, you're not bothering me. This is my job. This is what I do. In other words, shut up, here's your pillow, you know what I mean? Listen, this should be our attitude, church, not the shut up part. But we should say every day, Father, I want to be like Jesus because my agenda is your agenda. And if you got somebody, Lord, in my life right now that needs me to connect with them, that needs me to serve them, that needs me to pray with them, that needs me to lead them to Jesus Christ, then, Lord, I'm all in, man. I, I, I'm going to be, break this barrier of self-centeredness and quit being about all about me and all about the family. I want to serve like Jesus Christ. It's liberating. It's so good. Some of you shake your head because you do it. Here's a second barrier that keeps us from being available, and it's perfectionism. You know what I'm talking about? We want everything to be perfect before we do it. And if we're not careful, and we are, trust me, you've got to come in here and see and pray. If we're not careful, we do that here at church. We've got to make sure the music's just perfect before we bring it in here. I practice my sermon five times every week before I get up here to preach it, so I'm not reading it, you know what I mean? We got everything's got to be right because listen, you don't want to serve God unless what you bring to Him is perfect. Am I right? Do you know there's a Greek word for that type of thinking? It's the Greek word hogwashia, and it's where we get our it's where we get our English word hogwash. Okay, that's not true, but it should be because that kind of thinking's hogwash. If God had to wait until He found a perfect person and a perfect thing to get something done, you know how much He get done? Nothing. But God is so awesome, He specializes in imperfect people and imperfect circumstances and imperfect things and turns them into supernatural, unbelievable happenings. It's all through the Bible. It's all through history. And now it's our turn, church. 
It's our turn. Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the NLT version. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So stop waiting, church, until things calm down at your house and the kids get up and out before you join a team or get serving, because that's never going to happen. And quit waiting until you've got all your ducks in a row, until you're a perfect person before you serve, because that ain't going to happen either until Christ comes. You just jump on. You get all in. You find a team this morning, you get involved with it, and that's not the one God wants you in. You find another one until you find your niche. You serve and let him fill in the blanks. It's amazing stuff. And then number three, and this is a quick one, is materialism. Big barrier, man. It's eating us up. Do you know Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined? Two-thirds of the parables are about money. Why do he talk so much about money? Because he knows us, and he knew it would be a big thing. And it is a big thing. We're chasing it all the time. He said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no one can serve two masters. No one. You can't do it. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. I'm not the exception to that, and neither are you. You cannot. You've got to choose. It's like every other scripture. There's a choice to be had. And here's our choice, church. We're either going to choose to be rich or blessed. You can't choose both. You can have both. I know a lot of people that are rich and blessed. I see that a lot. But you can't choose both. Does that make sense? Because if you choose riches, then that's going to be your drive and your priority, and that's your ambition, and that's where you're going to be headed so you can get more and more and more and more, and you'll be about your kingdom. It'll be Team Jimmy instead of Team Jesus. But if you choose to be blessed, what you'll find out most of the time, the rich gets thrown in anyway. You cannot serve both God and money. That's all I'm going to say on this. We want to be servants like Jesus. We've got to stop being selfish. We've got to become available. We've got to stop trying to be perfectionist. Bring what you got. One little boy bought two fish and five loaves of bread. Five loaves and two fish, yeah. That's all. Just bring what you got. We've had a lot of people with that. And you've got to quit worrying about money and just serve. Now, when we started this, come on, come start this way, Claudia. When we started this whole process, uh, we, we started with that little boy on the diving board, you know, that we keep seeing, and, and we're trying to figure out what's going to make him jump, and, and Eric started the whole process by talking about trust, and, and then we start, we've been talking about all these weeks what, what builds trust, and it's character, and it's credibility, and it's competence, and this morning we've talked about connection and being available, uh, but we still got that little boy on the diving board. What's going to happen to him? Poor little guy we left on the diving board three weeks ago. If you weren't here, I was telling about being at a graduation, a swimming graduation for second graders. And the teachers and parents were all sitting by the pool as one by one the students walked to the end of the diving board, jumped off, walked over to the side and got out. And we all cheered and clapped and they got their little certificate. Until one little guy got to the end of the diving board and he looked down and he was paralyzed with fear. He would not jump. So for three weeks, we talked about what would make this little guy trust enough to jump. Well, I can play this moment back to you like rewinding on a VCR of what happened. That little boy at the end of the diving board with his legs shaking and a swimming suit seemed too big for his little skinny body and his hair all over his head happened to be my son, John, in the second grade. 
and my uh, husband and I were just nervous wrecks because the little guy could not jump, would not jump. When all of a sudden, my husband, for those of you who know Ken, he is crippled from the knee down, and he wears these big braces all the way down from his knee to his feet. They go underneath his foot onto his shoes, and most of the time they're broken, so he has duct tape with him, and he duct tapes these braces on his legs. On this day, we couldn't take it anymore to see our son so frightened like that, and his little legs shaking. And my husband stood up, and to me, when I tell you this, he's like a superhero. And he ripped off those shoes, and he ripped off those braces, and he hobbled over to the side of the pool, and he wobbled in the water, and he treaded out to the diving board. And when my son saw his father in the water, can any of you guess what happened? He jumped. He didn't hesitate. He jumped to the one he knew. Did he have character? Oh, yeah, man, he was someone worth following. Was he credible? Yes, he did what he said. Was he competent? Well, maybe in the water, not so much. <laughs> but was he connected? And connection meant everything because his father jumped first. He was all in. And in a moment's notice, he jumped. Which leads us to the biggest part of this day. I mean, Jake's going to talk after we're done with this, but this is communion time. The Bible calls death the last enemy to be defeated. And I don't know how long it's been since you've been to a funeral. I just did one a couple of weeks ago. And it is the last enemy. Terrifying. Spooky. You might have to look over that canyon. But we have one that we can trust. Who has been there. Has jumped in ahead of us. And it's Jesus. And we come every week to say we trust you. Uh, we've already been to baptistry once today. Chelsea was baptized this morning. And we've already celebrated that once today. This would be a good time to do that again. If you'd like to be all in with Jesus, come up here and talk to me. I'll be sitting here. If you'd like to be all in by joining South Union, come and talk to me about that. Those of us that are already all in, let's be all in about the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Let's spend some time talking to him right now, thanking him for what he did to us, and asking him again, what is it you want me to do here? Got a lot to do. Ask him what he wants you to do. Come on up.